0: So, on Disney+, Plus, I can recreate the Disney Afternoon and watch Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and
1: Tailspin every day. And and that's why I haven't (laughs) talked to my family for a while. Actually, that sounds pretty awesome. Not the not talking to your family part, but the rest of it. But we do have to start the podcast now. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Hey, hey,
0: everybody. Uh, I'm Clint. And I'm Chad. And we're bringing you Schoolja, the podcast
1: made by teachers for
0: teachers. Brought to you by two middle aged dads and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. We hope our podcast is the way you shake off those Monday blues at least twice a month. Or possibly they stack up in your podcast feed until you listen to them all one after another in a giant binge session. Just as long as you listen. And if you're hearing us say this, then you are. And all of that was pointless. It sure was. Hey, I'm pretty excited about today's episode, Chad. Do you know why? Yeah, because it's all about me. Because it's all about you. As you (laughs) may recall, dear listeners, Chad recently presented at a math conference and was the hit of the program. I don't know about the hit of the program. Well, you were. They already signed you up to come back next year, which means they liked you. That's true. And it was
1: a lot of fun. And I did get to plug the podcast. So I'll say it was a success.
0: Uh, Later on in the show, we'll hear exactly what you talked about because you recorded the whole thing. But let's use our first segment to set it up a little bit. So we're going to pretend that we're on NPR and this is Fresh Air, the show. And I'm Terry Gross and I'll interview you about your presentation. Sound good? Sounds weird, but I'm game. First question. What made you decide to present at the Northwest Math Conference? Do you think you're better than everyone else and you just wanted to feed your ego?
1: I have to admit that when I first signed up for this and found out that I was presenting, I was a little hesitant to tell people because I I didn't realize that at most of these conferences, the people that present actually do submit their presentation and say, I want to come do this. I always thought that they were like invited or that they were being paid to do it. So I was a little embarrassed and I did feel like it was a little bit of an egotistical thing to even apply to do it. But I really just wanted to try something new, get out of my comfort zone. and I thought I had something kind of cool to share and I thought well let's just give it a try and I will say you do get some perks like I did get free continental breakfast Ooh, I bet
0: you only ate the fruit didn't you you monster (laughs) you didn't have a like a danish or anything you're like I I
1: I had some I had some eggs I had some eggs
0: that's not continental breakfast then that's a full-on breakfast
1: it was just pretty much eggs and fruit
0: they didn't have bagels?
1: I, didn't, I wasn't even looking at the carbs, man. <sighs> All
0: right, push-ups. <laughs> Question two, how did you prepare? Did you just get up there and wing it like you do in your classes, or did you actually think about it some? Like maybe on the drive up.
1: I applied to present at the conference in the spring, and the conference was in October. So I had a little bit of time to think it over. I did spend quite a bit of time putting together a slide presentation that I thought was going to go about 50 minutes. I guess we should probably say my presentation was about using math games in math classes to kind of inspire kids to build number sense, to get kids more excited about math. So I knew I had a 50 minute presentation and I knew that if I just started modeling some of the games I played, if I had more time, I could just keep doing new games. So I wasn't worried about the time. So I never practiced the presentation. Obviously, a lot of it was just in my head. Well, it's good to know that there's something. In your head. (laughs) Other than resisting
0: the urge to laugh at all the
1: nerds surrounding
0: you. What was the hardest part of the presentation?
1: We had very little time between the presentation that came before me and mine and trying to get that all going. I was supposed to have a document camera that they did have there, but it was still like in the wrapper. A very nice gentleman that was there to watch my presentation tried to help me set it up. We, of course, never got it going. Luckily, I kind of planned for a technical breakdown of the document camera in case it wasn't working. So it worked out fine. But just the quick turnaround and trying to be as professional as possible, I think I was pretty sweaty. did you yeah. wear an undershirt? Uh, <laughs> so I don't wear an undershirt, Clint. If you're sweaty, that's its purpose. It's
0: the skin sponge that keeps all of the sweat from getting onto your nice shirt.
1: Then I guess I just sweated onto my nice shirt. I did take your advice. I did wear a sport coat and took it off right at the beginning of the presentation.
0: Did you roll up your sleeves so that you look like a working class kind of guy?
1: Yeah, Exactly. A man of the people. That's what I was going for.
0: Another question. After being lifted up on the sloping mathy shoulders of the crowd and being treated to free drinks at the math conference bar, other than that, what made you feel successful about the day?
1: Um, I did run into a lot of people throughout the day that complimented me. They they had attended my session and they said uh, they really enjoyed it. I had a couple of people say it was their favorite one of the day. I was sitting in a rather bad presentation at one point, and someone tapped me on my shoulder and said, yours was way better than this one.
0: It's possible that they just felt bad for you because they could see all the sweat coming through through the back of your shirt. Yeah,
1: that was probably it. One of the organizers for the 2020 conference was in my session, and right afterwards, she came up to me and said, please make sure you apply. We'd love to have you back next year. So- That was probably the the best part. Well, that's pretty
0: cool. I do have one more question. Uh, If you had it all to do over again, would you put on pants this time? And is there any other thing that you would change to improve your performance?
1: I would not wear pants the next time like I did not wear pants this time. I think the non-pants presentation was really what got me the compliments and the invite back. You think a lot of yourself, sir. (laughs) I just feel like if I was invited to come back next year and if I wore pants there might be some disappointment. Wow.
0: It was an ego trip.
1: I would do the exact same presentation next year. And I think that's kind of the point. My first thought would be, number one, I only have a certain amount of games. And and I can't think of another presentation I would really feel like I would want to do. I mean, this is, I I think, the math games that I use in class, I've developed for years. And I've borrowed and adapted. and, And I really love them. And if it's the presentation I was invited to come back to do, I would want to do it again. I really think the presentation itself went really well. And the other thing is the the presentation next year is in a different city. It's in a different state. So I think you're pretty much probably going to get an entirely different crowd. So kind of repeating the same process and uh, polishing it up a little bit would be all I would do.
0: So you're not going to put like a little addendum in the program that says using math games to create fun, spark interest, and build number sense, little asterisks, and then down at the bottom it says same exact presentation as last year, don't get your hopes up? Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Okay, it might help.
1: That's a really good suggestion, thank you. Uh Uh-huh, no problem.
0: Hey, I think that wraps up my questions, and if I do say so myself, that may be the very best interview ever conducted. I can't wait for the call from the Library of Congress to archive this magnificent performance.
1: Yeah, don't hold your breath, buddy. And now a word from our sponsor.
0: Today's episode of Schoolja is brought to you by Pocket Potty. An average person empties their bladder six to eight times per day. In most careers, when the urge hits, you can step away from what you're doing and visit the restroom. Not so for teachers. With 30 students to keep under control every minute of the day, by the time they get on the bus, your bladder's fit to bust. What's a teacher to do? Introducing Pocket Potty, the first over-the-counter self-catheter system designed for the working teacher. Unlike most self-cath systems, the Pocket Potty is designed to remain comfortably inserted throughout the workday, eliminating both your urine and the need to use the toilet. And with its durable, puncture-free drainage system, you can feel secure that your pee won't get free. Don't endure the pain and damage to your kidneys of holding it all day, just slip in the Pocket Potty and get back to work. What a relief. Welcome back. And now we're going to listen to Chad give his presentation, Using Math Games to Create Fun, Spark Interest, and Build Number Sense. If you want further information, we've posted his entire slideshow on our website. Enjoy.
1: All right. Well, it looks like it's 9 o'clock. Looks like we have standing room only. You guys can try to sque- squeeze in if you'd like. You want to sit on the floor, or yeah, we could we could make it work. They told me we'd have 40 seats, and they described it as auditorium. So uh, <laughs> this is not quite what I expected, but uh, we're, we'll make it work. My name's Chad Matson. The last time I came to Northwest Math Conference was probably about nine or 10 years ago, and I remember coming to a session with probably a very similar title. A lot of the things that happened in that session, I am actually going to share with you again today. So. If you were the one uh, presenting <laughs> nine or 10 years ago, I'm, I stole some of your material. But the things I learned that day, I still use sometimes on a daily basis. I have a little bit of an interesting direction to what brought me here today. In my student teaching and my bachelor's program, I actually was pursuing being a physical educator. That was in the early 2000s and, and a lot of the teachers in, in the building I was student teaching in said, you know, we have two PE teachers in this building and we have seven math teachers. Are, are you considering maybe pursuing some other sort of endorsement? Uh, I don't know how it works now, but at the time, I just had to take a praxis test. Passed that, got my endorsement, and started my career as a PE teacher. Um, One of the unique things about my endorsement is I don't get to teach geometry, I don't get to teach algebra 2, and I've gotten pretty comfortable with that. I I, I enjoy working with, let's face it, a lot of kids who, uh, especially at the high school level, taking algebra 1 and below, don't like math so our objectives today you know we we come to these conferences and we obviously hope we get at least something out of them and so my biggest goal today is that we do that that you guys have something that you're excited about using but i want to talk a little bit first about you know why i guess my philosophy of why i play games uh, but why i think it's beneficial number one we are in a world now in education where almost everything we do Uh, has to have some sort of purpose. I think definitely when I was going to school, but even when I first started my career 17 years ago, the teacher evaluation system and everything else that went along with that, there was a little bit more leeway, I think. I think administrators had a little bit more uh, leniency with like, that looked like fun, but I don't know if it had a lot of content or purpose. And nowadays, uh, I definitely know, at least in my district, that is something that's really looked at. You know, we're kind of going away with those fluffy things. And almost everything we do in in our class has to have, you have to be able to justify that as some sort of, uh, of purpose that our kids are getting better. And so I, I want to show you that that is definitely possible. And then I heard this recently. I was actually listening to a podcast and it was it was about a preacher who was trying to figure out a way to be funnier in his uh, Sunday sermons. And so he was seeking the, the resources of one of my favorite comedians, Gary Goldman. And Gary was asking him, why is it so important for you to be funny? And he said, I feel like humor is a Trojan horse. It allows me to access people better. It it opens the door, it opens the gates to to access. And I feel like I can kind of translate that to the the games that I play in my class oftentimes are a Trojan horse. I've coached football. Uh, This is actually the first season in 16 years I haven't been a football coach. And uh, one of the things that, always kind of bothered me is a lot of times you'll have a kid that does everything you want them to do as an athlete. They're a great leader, they work hard, they have a good attitude. All these traits that we look for in a quality human but then you're sitting in the staff room hearing from another teacher man Johnny is so lazy he doesn't do anything he's a pain in the butt in my class and we as teachers we kind of prioritize well they should be that way because math or what English or whatever I'm doing is more important than this and and we all agree we need our education and stuff you know when you crawl inside the head of a 15 year old kid, Johnny's good at football. He likes football. He's successful, it's a place where he feels like he has purpose. He's not very good at math, he struggles in it. He doesn't wanna be there, okay? So when you're kind of characterizing those traits and you're thinking, you know, they're they're capable of doing those things. We see it on the football field, we see that they're great leaders, we see that they can work hard, but they're doing it in something that they enjoy. If we can somehow translate that just a little bit in our classroom, we might start seeing better behaviors. Now, it doesn't excuse being a butthead in class, I get that, but it's like, I can kind of understand it. I don't like doing things that I'm not very good at. I don't like doing things that make me feel stupid. And I love doing things that I am successful at. And so kind of taking it with that approach and saying, okay, how can I help Johnny find some level of success in my class? Maybe if it's not on our unit one test, maybe it's on this game we're playing today. I got this a little bit from my PE experience as well. And playing a lot of games in PE, obviously you need to have participation. That's kind of part of your grade. But I found when I first started playing a lot of math games in my math classes that students kind of looked at that as an option. Okay, we're doing a 10-minute warm-up today, and we're going to play this game, and you'd have four or five, maybe half the class. And, well, it's a game. Okay, I'm going to work on my homework instead, or I'm going to do something else, or I'm just going to choose to disengage. One of the things I expect in my classes is, and I sometimes even avoid calling them games because I think for that very stigma that goes with that, But the expectation is that everyone plays. And if they're not playing, I mean, sometimes just a friendly reminder. But sometimes, depending on the class I teach, it sometimes is a participation grade, whatever that is. But the expectation that I set very early in the school year is that everyone plays. The other thing that's really important is most of these games have an objective, right? You're trying to win something or you're trying to get to a number or you're trying to do something. And you really have to hit this one home because obviously almost everything we do, if you say, well, it doesn't really matter if you didn't win. Kids don't really buy that. But it is true. And what we're doing in a lot of these, these activities is we just want them processing math. We just want them building number sense. And so if they're, if they're not getting to the final answer or the final result, but they're doing a lot of processing through that, that's the objective. That's what we're trying to build. And so really trying to hit home like, hey, nice try. You didn't quite get there, but you did a great job. I like what you did there. And really trying to hit that home that that's not necessarily the most important thing. I don't know, and I, and I don't want to preach to the choir here, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with this concept of cognitive flow, but video game design is basically, if you are a video game designer, you, you base everything off of this, and and if you've ever played, you know, I think about, I, I don't even know if it's available anymore, but I remember when Flappy Bird uh, was a really popular app on, on an iPhone, I think about the idea of cognitive flow. And, and And really what cognitive flow is, is that sensation when you're playing something where it's not too easy, but it's not too hard and when you fail, you want to just open it back up and go again I mean if we're trying to get into the brains of our kids like we we have got to kind of address that this is, is this is how uh, we are becoming so addicted to, to a lot of our, our technology is because of this idea of like, man, I, if, if it's too easy, I'm just going to throw it away. Okay? If it's too hard, I'm done with it. But if it just keeps me kind of wanting more, that's the idea. And so these four elements have to be there for cognitive flow. You need concrete rules that I can clearly understand. And if you think about your students, if you've ever tried to do an activity, I always ran into this as a PE teacher. I didn't quite explain everything. And then halfway through the game, I was like, oh, time out, time out. Uh, one more thing and you need you need to have really concrete rules and especially with kids who struggle with well that wasn't the rule or you know and, and that can that can really throw kids off. Goals that fit capabilities. And I'll talk in a second about watching your kids and, and evaluating how they're doing, but making sure that you know, you're you not asking them to do too much or too little. Clear and timely feedback, that's the beauty of games. You, you see how you did right away. Again, going back to Flappy Bird, I either ran into the pipe or I kept going. And, and, and that timely feedback. And then eliminate distractions. We want to be able to focus on what we're doing. If we can kind of add all those four things together, we end up with this idea of cognitive flow. And I have always found that with the games I'm playing, when they're really working well, the idea is that they're saying, no, 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 let's do one more round. So watch your kids while you play. I'm going to give you some games today. I'm going to show you how I play them. Um, I, the the presenter I saw nine years ago, I can't even tell you if this is exactly how he presented or not because I've changed them and I've adapted them and I've adjusted them over the years. But But watch your kids, and if you realize that you are not hitting that cognitive flow, maybe you're working with a group of sixth graders and it's too hard, or I don't teach upper levels, but I've had to cover calculus classes and things like that, and I've tried these with them too, and sometimes you just gotta adjust it as you go to make sure that, that it meets their needs, okay? Obviously adjust the rules and rigor. I mean, these are your games. Do whatever you want with them. But watch your kids play and see what needs to happen. Part of playing a good game for me is the presentation. It's the game show aspect of it all. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll explain a couple things that I do t- today when I'm playing some of these games that just adds to kind of the element of like, oh, this is this is an exciting thing for the kids. And then I think this is really important. A little secret here. I this probably sounds horrible. I have not shared these games with my colleagues or with like, the lower levels in my district. And, and I know that sounds bad, but I don't want my kids coming to me as freshmen and being like, yeah, we've played that for the last three years, and I'm kind of sick of it, and the way Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so did it was lame, and, and it's really hard to get them to buy in. And, and then also, like, don't do the same thing all the time. Mix it up. Um, I will say when I first started teaching, um, there was also a lot more. I felt like there was a lot more time to mix games into my curriculum. Uh, We have adopted uh, the CPM curriculum the last four years, and um, I love it, but it's also, like, really packed. I mean, it's like our our days are pretty much, I get 55-minute periods, and for the most part, I need all of those 55 minutes. So it gets a little bit harder for me to squeeze games in. Uh, But I try to, and then I also teach some support classes where I get to play a lot of those games. You know, like yesterday, actually yesterday morning, I knew that we were gonna have a um, lockdown drill five minutes into class. So I knew that I had five minutes to throw in a game, and we did that. Uh, A lot of the games we'll talk about today, you can do in a couple minutes. And then the other thing people ask me about sometimes is, you know, do you do rewards? No, not really sometimes. I used to do stickers all the time. I'd go to Walmart or something and get a bunch of stickers. It always surprised me, but um, I, the, I would encourage the kids to put their stickers on their math notebook. And the, the most hardened, you know, we live in like a fishing logging community, the most hardened young man who wears his dirty boots and his cowboy hat to school every day, like would love getting that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sticker and stick it on there and be like, yeah! But it might have been the only thing that he, he won in a while. So, um, and, and a lot of times I just don't do anything and, and the kids really don't mind. No one ever really asks what, what's in it for me. Um, they just like the bragging rights or, or, or the opportunity to have some fun. Alright, so you guys want to learn some games? Yeah. One of the greatest tools I have is this little 10-sided die. I, I have a million of these sitting next to my dryer at home because they usually end up in my pocket. Uh, but, but this 10-sided die I almost always have with me. It's a handy tool to have for a lot of these games. 24 uh, is a game where uh, you're going to give uh, students four random, random numbers. The objective is to arrive at the answer 24 using uh, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division sometimes and especially as they get a little bit more comfortable with it i will let them use exponents uh early in the year a lot of our kids aren't even really comfortable with that but the rule is like you have to either use one of those four numbers as your exponent or create it with the four numbers you can't just randomly throw an exponent up there and and i will say this 85 to 90 percent of the time you can get a solution for this sometimes you can't there are a couple websites if you just type in 24 solutions it'll let you put in the four numbers and it'll give you the solution if you're also struggling okay here we go so we got four five eight and three and if you and if you have it just we'll just say you can raise your hand you got some all right go for it eight minus five eight minus five so we're at three plus plus three. And then times. Oh. Got it, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun thing about this game is you get some dialogue. The other thing I noticed a lot about this game is you can, it's a great opportunity to have conversations about grouping. A lot of times kids will just, and, and I have learned when I play this game, I, I have a hard time transferring, like right there, I have a very hard time transferring what I hear up on the board. So it's a, it's a good opportunity for me. But, um, the other thing I notice and you might notice this with your, with your lower level kids, is a lot of times when they, like, they want to subtract three from six, they'll say three minus six. Okay, and I, you hear that and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I'll write it, I'll say three minus six, is that what you meant? And they'll be like, no, it's six minus three. It's like, well, okay. So you get a lot of kind of feedback there, uh, getting the chance to see how kids think. Uh, also, a lot of times they'll they'll do it in d- a different order, but it's the, same, it's the same process. Okay, and so you can have a conversation about that. So the way I'll do this game usually is I will have them come in and I will have them a uh, number of pieces of scratch paper one through four and I will give them four different sets of 24. And I just tell them, just jump around. Try to get all four. But if you're struggling with number one, move on to number two. In the past, I've also done um, a tournament at the end of the year, uh, classes that I got to play the game a lot. We would do like a, a bracket tournament. Every kid would have their name in a bracket. Uh, and, we, and we would do a couple a day. I'd have two chairs up in the front of the room. They'd come up, I'd put, a, I'd put four numbers up. First person with their hand up would get a, get a chance. If they got it, they moved on in the bracket. If they didn't or if they were wrong, the other person got like twenty seconds to come up with a solution. I, I did games like that. Um, but there's there's a variety of ways that you can do that that 24 activity. Right as we wrap up, there are some great commercial games out there that most of them you can print. I bought I bought a, a pack of 10 different colors of 10 die. This was like 10 bucks on Amazon. I print most of these uh, online. Uh, I find most of these online so I don't actually have to go buy uh, the, the, the Yahtzee box or the Farkle. But here's some great commercial games that you can use. And I know I'm running too late. and I know the next presenter wants to probably go. So thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. We've all been there. You're lecturing to a class of students and you deliver that perfectly timed and superbly phrased joke, only to be met with dead silence from 30 blank stairs. Or the day's lesson comes to its magnificent crescendo and you're expecting, or at least hoping, for a bunch of oohs and ahs, but instead are once again looking at a room full of unimpressed kids. You know, for years, these moments would sometimes take the wind out of my sails. Even just a few laughs from a couple kids probably would have been enough, but sometimes I'd get nothing. That's why I'm so excited to have found a Plottable, the classroom laugh track that makes me feel like I'm doing a stand-up bit at a comedy club. Applaudable is awesome. It comes with a smart audio feature that recognizes jokes or puns or those anticipated moments of student excitement and then it just blasts one of 100 different crowd noises appropriate for the given situation through its state-of-the-art classroom surround sound. Never again are my bad jokes being met with silence. Best of all, Plottable only recognizes the teacher's voice, so class clowns and attention seekers get no recognition. And for a limited time, applaudable is adding a two-minute-long ovation that plays at the end of every class period, which we could all use from time to time. Am I right? So if your sensitive ego could use a little massaging, give Applaudable a try. You'll be glad you did. Applaudable, because you're funny. They just don't know it. All right, welcome back. It's time now for our favorite segment of the show.
0: Wait, what? It's our opportunity to talk about whatever we want. And you can't stop us. Well, they could turn off the podcast. That's true. Please don't do that.
1: So I'm going to read you just a snippet of this article that popped up on Halloween Day.
0: Spooky.
1: I think it's fitting that the principal in this school, her name is Diana Kruger.
0: She's slashing budgets and slashing throats. Right.
1: All right. So this happened in Portland, Oregon. A student at a Southeast Portland elementary school was sent to the hospital Monday after ingesting crack cocaine that another student had brought to school. Hmm. A third grader had been pressured by a fourth grader to ingest crack cocaine. At the time, the staff at the school did not know what the substance was. They had the student basically being observed by the school nurse, called the parents. Parents ended up taking the child to the hospital. Sound like the kid was okay, but after doing some tests, they found out that the substance was, in fact, crack wow yeah that's crazy yeah it's a little disturbing
0: i gotta say i would not have been able to identify like if kids in my class were especially so this happened before halloween because the news article right this was on october but i can imagine like a kid getting a piece of candy from some other kid and having no idea that
1: it was actually it was not rock candy it's crack Um, A few days later, there was another big article about these uh, parents uh, wanting to fire the principal. Basically, there was a board meeting where all these parents showed up just a few days afterwards demanding that this principal be fired. And I understand that in no way should a third grader ever be consuming crack cocaine given to them by a fourth grader. But... I think we have to fifth be fifth
0: grader. It's fine. <laughs> right. But from a fourth grader, right. heck no. Come on.
1: And it's like, I think we have to be careful at, at all of a sudden pointing fingers at like, this is clearly the, the principal's fault. I, I think in, even in an elementary setting, there are times where kids are not directly supervised at, All times.
0: We can't watch them all the time. There's playground. Like, I assume, because it was a third grader and a fourth grader, and they were in the same space, they were on the playground, or it was lunchtime or something, and you can't have an adult right there. Even in a classroom, you've got 30 kids in there, and you're trying to work with all of them, and you have your back turned for a second, you can't regulate every single thing that happens. And like I said before, even if that was happening in my class, I could be like, hey, don't put that in your mouth, but I wouldn't know what that was, unless the kid was like, I have crack here, anyone want to taste it? And the, and the principal's like, I don't think you should do that, but I'm going to walk over there now. Like, you'd have to be actively negligent knowing what's going on to be culpable. It seems like like what on earth could you have done differently?
1: Well, and then and then one of the complaints is that there wasn't enough communication home that the principal didn't call nine one one and the police right away. And it's like again, there's a probably a lot of bizarre things that get ingested, or you know, kids are passing stuff around, and a kid eats something. And I think seems like the most reasonable thing is you take them to the school nurse, you call the parents, the nurse. Supervises them. They see that there doesn't seem to be any signs of illness or anything. Parents get there. Parents. Sounds like in the story, parents took them directly to the hospital after that. And I just feel like it's like the the witch hunt a lot of times of trying to find who can we blame right away. And then the other thing that I don't know if anyone's asking this question, why in the heck does a fourth grader have crack cocaine?
0: I mean, I would be curious to know if the fourth grader knew what it was that they had because I can imagine picking up a baggie on the bus or whatever and being like, I wonder what this is.
1: We react so like, I guess the hairs on the back of our neck stand up when it's like you hear crack cocaine.
0: That's because we're products of the 90s, my friend, where that was every episode of every show.
1: I guarantee you that like kids have like dared each other to eat dog poop on the playground or like I remember people daring people to snort, you know, pixie sticks. And I mean, I you know what I mean? I mean, there's probably other really unhealthy, unsafe things. And I'm not saying those things are OK, but it's like if it's crack cocaine, man, that's like it's hitting the front page of the news and then of course 2 days later you'll never hear about it again.
0: I remember uh just a quick tangent before we end here. I
1: think this whole thing has been a tangent.
0: I did not do this, whatever. But I remember friends snorting margarita salt, like the Yally. lemon salt that you can get <laughs> that you can get it at Mexican restaurants in little packets and they would like snort it and their eyes would turn all red and they'd sneeze a ton and they're like, "Oh, you want to try this?" and I was like, "No, I'm not a moron." Yeah. But yeah, kids are idiots they just will do dumb things
1: that's a good way to finish the
0: podcast <laughs> yeah kids are dumb we're educators send your kids to us well that's it for us probably forever <laughs> you have a question we have an email address for that contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at Seahill Astoria.
1: you can also find me on instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store chatterboxes.com and don't forget about our website, schoolyapod.com
0: And all our sponsors are fake. And as always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. Yeah, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other place where you get fine podcasts. It helps other people find us. Or, if that seems too hard, tell a friend to listen. Or, you could create your own podcast, build up a huge audience, and then recommend Schoolja on your show.
1: Hmm,
0: wouldn't they be stealing our audience first? (laughs) Podcasting isn't a zero-sum game, Chad. Clint, you don't even know what that means. That doesn't mean it's not true. Anyway, thanks for listening.
1: <laughs> See you soon. Seven factorial. Okay. Uh, divided mm-hmm. by. Dude, I honestly don't even know what you mean by factorial. divided by four factor. quantity. Okay. Five plus one close quantity. Factorial. Oh nice. All that nice. Seven times one to the power of five. Blown away. Hey, nerds.